Mizel Beauty Co. creates fuss-free products that work on every skin type using the finest quality, naturally derived ingredients, such as wild plum or bilberry seed oil. Like us, they share a passion for the transformative power of nature, and they encourage their employees and customers to get outside to experience it as much as possible. There is a reason their mantra is naturally active. Hi, I'm Hannah, one of the co-founders at Go Jauntly. Welcome to our new podcast, Nature Bants. We made the walking app because we were fed up of being chained to our desks all day and were desperate to find good places to go for an easy walk with family and friends. We've always wanted to make a podcast and now we have our brilliant new audio feature. We thought, what better time? And thanks to Lizelle Beauty Co, this is our opportunity to talk about green living, well-being, walking, rewilding and climate action with a series of inspirational interviews with people who are working towards a safer, better, more sustainable future. First up, we have ethnobotanist and Liz Earl ambassador James Wong. I'm really excited about the opportunity to talk to him as I've been a fan for a long time. Hi, James. Welcome to the show. Nice to be here. Thank you. Please, can you tell everyone a little bit about what you do? Oh, gosh, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> so I'm trained as a botanist, uh, specifically an ethnobotanist. And that's the branch of plant science that looks at how people use plants. Mm -hmm. So that's my my background. And um, I use it in lots of different ways. So I was trained at Kew, but I work in TV and radio and write books and consult for companies like Lizzo, uh, my favorite job, obviously, um, to help people understand plants better, basically. Can you explain to the layman what exactly botany is? Okay, so botany is just the study of plants. Gotcha. And ethnobotany, which sounds even more obscure, is just the study of how people use plants. Mm -hmm. And there are lots of types of botany where people might be looking at uh, how a plant works in an ecosystem, or how a plant has evolved, or maybe how plants belong, uh, where plants belong on the family tree, on um, the tree of life, and how they're genetically related to each other. I'm not so interested in any of that. Mm -hmm. Only if something is edible or medicinally useful or when there's a human connection, then plants become unbelievably fascinating to me. And how did you fall into this then? Has it been a lifelong passion? So here's the thing, right? People have asked me this question so often, like mm -hmm. in pubs and like in, in cabs and you know interviews, that I've started to question myself and I'm always like, oh, maybe I need to create some kind of origin story. Oh. like. A made-up story. Well, no. Like, you know, my grandma used to take me around in the garden of plants, and I kind of think, mm -hmm. well, maybe it's that. Or, you know, I, I used to watch David Attenborough as a kid, and he made this amazing show called Private Life of Plants that I watched at a really formative age, and I was like, oh, I want to be a botanist. But then I think even if it wasn't for any of those things, mm -hmm. I would be. So I asked my brother, who is obsessed with football, Paul, has anyone <laughs> said to you, so how come you're interested in football? Like, did you have, like, a PE teacher? Or does it run in your family, this football? thing <laughs> and clearly like so I asked him because uh, I was so curious he's like no no one's asked me that James because football is interesting and plants aren't oh, <laughs> so to me it's burn. the opposite I'm like how could you anyone find football interesting <laughs> when plants are so fascinating so maybe it's genetic I don't know so does Paul not like plants then no, not oh, uh, no. You know, now he's old. Mm. <laughs> See, he's ten years older than me, and now he's growing a couple of tulips, and he's sending me pictures on WhatsApp and asking me about them and stuff like that. Mm. But it's only now, after years of ridicule, mm. so that we, we eventually get them. So you've got an upper hand now. Absolutely, oh. I know everything. That's so. Amazing. 
amazing. As long as no one asks me to explain the offside rule. Do you get <laughs> Do you get lots of family members asking you to help with their plants? Um, I've got a pretty small family, so but I'm I certainly like I do my mum's garden. I mm-hmm. live uh, in central London in a tiny flat. It's going to be a long time before I be able to afford a garden in central London. Mm-hmm. So I've kind of commandeered her garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, she didn't like mowing. Uh, and liked free fruit and veg. So it's kind of a good arrangement we've got going on. Oh, that's amazing. So you've just mentioned it, but you famously don't have a garden because you live in a flat. Yep. And your Instagram feed is full of beautiful miniature plants. And um, I've seen you propagating little ferns and things like that. How much time does it take? It it looks like a lot of fun. Oh, you're such a nice talker. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's weird when you post stuff on, and, and then you're surprised that people can see it. It's and, a bit creepy, sorry. Yeah, because you're just doing it at home. <laughs> um, so I, I have a lot of houseplants. I have about 500. I, I mean, I'm guessing I kind of counted to 350 and then was about halfway through and thought, you know, I can't. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do spend a lot of time. But that's because people will often talk about... Um, gardening being great because it's so easy and they might say um, this is a great idea for gardening because it takes me so little time it's so low maintenance this might be a stupid question but do you have like animals or insects living in some of these tanks <laughs> um so i i'm not an animal person okay. i'm you know t- kind of afraid of all of them okay but I, but I but i have a few that i cohabit with yeah that's so, what i was wondering um, i have some siamese fighting fish wow uh, so i have some so of those in the, in the tanks and the tank? uh, yeah yeah i have uh, some of those in not the ponds but ponds are a little bit shallow for them so i have them there i have um some tropical shrimp um, they oh. basically help with weeding and getting rid of algae and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was Are they like sea monkeys that you used to get when you were a kid? Except good. Okay. You know, did you? I was always so disappointed. The I cartoon know. looked amazing. <laughs> I know. And then you were like, what's that's it? Like, then, I thought they juggled and stuff. And they were like in this small tank and you like pumped it. Yeah, and then they would very like, disappointing. <laughs> so there's, there's all kinds of amazing tropical shrimp that are way easier because you don't even feed them. I don't feed them at all. Oh, they, they just live, live off all the stuff that's in my tanks and help keep the water clean. So I have those. And, you know, who that knows? That sounds like an ideal pet to me. Yeah, well, they are maintenance-free pets. The yeah. only things that I need to feed, and not very often because they eat the shrimp, mm. um, creating my own ecosystem, are the Siamese fighting fish. And not that often, a couple of times a week. Do you have to clean up the poo? No, because plants do it. Oh, That's perfect. the reason why they're there. They're there to fertilize the tank and, and to like clean up algae and stuff. Like I'm wow. only interested in animals when they can do stuff for yeah. me and oh. for my plants. I like it. I like it. So can anyone get involved? Anyone. Th- so here's the thing with gardening. Like, of course, not everyone wants to have like indoor ponds and is not going to have an hour a day to do stuff. But a single plant c- on the side of your, your bedside table can give you so much pleasure as it develops and grows and can be so therapeutic for you. And I think the, the real burgeoning interest with houseplants recently you know, the last two or three years, particularly people who are millennials. I'm, I am a millennial by one year and I'm keeping that year. Um, You're lucky because I miss out. How do you? What? I'm 1980. Oh, yeah, you then. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's I'm so very sad. surprised. I thought you were younger than me. No, I'm older. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay, well, we, can totally, better now? we can totally be brother and sister Okay, now. great. Um, Twins, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, we can knock off that year. Um, so I feel that, you know, people are always saying that, that uh, younger people are buying plants and communing with plants because they don't, they can't afford gardens. And that is part of the reason. Mm-hmm. They're, they're saying very often that it's because it's an interior design trend and it's mm-hmm. on Instagram. I think that definitely is also part of the reason. But I think the overwhelming reason why people have that craving 
to connect with nature, the the craving to nurture something, is that we live in an increasingly uncertain and frightening world. Mm-hmm. And nature allows you, like growing plants indoors, allows you to connect with nature in a very real way. It allows you to escape a potentially threatening world. And you're sort of communing with something and nurturing something. Mm-hmm. And in that process, there's something that's so... I've experienced it myself, that something that is so mindful, something that is so, um, it really allows you to switch off. Mm Because when you're concentrating on that, you can't think about anything else. Um, And, you know, I'm a scientist, so I find words like mindfulness, like fuzzy and a little Mm -hmm. bit sickening. But but when it comes to plants, like it totally works. Mm -hmm. So you can, you know, if you have a fiver in your pocket and like an hour free this weekend, Go and buy a plant, put it on your windowsill. It'll take you, what, 10 minutes work a week. And if you feel what I feel when you're around plants, it probably will start to take over your life. Mm, yeah, I I am an avid collector of plants. I try not to kill them. I sometimes do. Okay. Um, but I, I like all your tips about... You know, simple things like not overwatering. Yeah, it's the number <laughs> the one right, reason. I know. The number one reason for plant death is because people try to water it, like they want to care for the plant too much, yeah. and they overwater a plant mm-hmm. and kill it that way. Um, what else have you killed? I want to know. I, I'm the only one I've killed. I can't remember the name of, so it's really unhelpful. But it was like a purple one. It was really beautiful and had like amazing leaves. And I think it might have been to because it was doing really well over the summer. But I think it might have been to do with the central heating. Okay. Maybe. So this is a trailing plant with purple leaves with its leaves opposite, almost like a ladder that's trailing down. I, you're talking about those uh, slightly inappropriate wandering Jews, aren't you? Yes, the Chadoscantia. <laughs> yeah. Let's use the Latin, it's safer. <laughs> yeah, I was just reading about um, this with a friend about how a lot of these names are sort of slightly racist. Yes, there are lots of them. <laughs> but this is this is the same one you had? Um, no, I can't kill that one. Oh, what, what's the one that you had? I don't know. Then? We'll have to move on. Okay, you'll have I can't to... remember. Okay, well, we'll figure it out. I'll send it to you. Yeah. So, to a plant novice, what books would you recommend? And are there any sort of fail-safe plants that will help around the home. I love a good spider plant and I've heard that they're really good at cleaning the air and and things like that. Yeah, good question. So pretty much any plant is going to be cleaning the air. Um, The amount the plant grows, the quicker a plant grows and the amount of growth it puts on is pretty much directly related to how well it cleans the air because it's as it's putting on that growth, it's breathing more and it's Mm -hmm. taking those substances out of the air. In terms of books, um, people have often asked me if I'm going to write a houseplant book and my answer is always no. And the reason is because there is the best houseplant book that has ever been written and probably will ever be written. That was written in the 60s. Tell it's, us. Uh, it's called The Houseplant Expert. Oh. Simply titled <laughs> by a guy called Dr. D.G. Hesion. I think he's still alive um, because it was written a long time ago uh, and it's been con- in continuous print since. I think it's the world's longest or the, the world's most selling nonfiction book. Uh, which, you know, kind of puts it up, depending on your belief, with the Bible. I was, I was just going about to name drop that. <laughs> and no one, no one knows about it in, in oh, the younger ge- generation, yeah. and I don't get that. Um, so you go get it online, and if you can't, um, I have no association with this, go to a charity shop. There's mm-hmm. a lot, like, it seems to be in every charity shop for a quid. Wow. Um, and there is literally, like, when I was a kid, I got it when I was about six years old. Yeah. 
And to me, like I used to weirdly carry this book around with me everywhere I Can went. Can I say that's a really cute image? It, like it's it's full of like so it not only has like how to care of each plant, mm. it has like uh, creations you can make. So it has like a tank that you plant up or like a, a bromeliad tree. So you take a, tr- a tree branch and you put it in a pot and then you plant things onto it. Mm-hmm. So to me as a kid, it was like a storybook because mm-hmm. you're kind of seeing these miniature worlds. But not only do you get to witness them like in a cartoon, you actually have a hand in creating them so like there's something magical about that escape and that book is has changed so many people's lives and i I think more people should read it i'm gonna have a new incentive to go to every single charity shop now i mean you could probably get it (laughs) online and i'm sure like third hand like probably under a quid on some of the that's such a good tip thank you now as you may or may not know we made a walking app called go jauntly One of our main aims is to obviously encourage you to walk. So each week, Shane from Go Jauntly is going to share his fave walk of the moment. So Shane, what have you got for us today? Thanks, Hannah. Since we are speaking with James today, I think I'm going to have to go with one of the ones he curated for Liz Earle, the uh, Liz Earle Naturally Active collection that we have out now. Uh, He did such an amazing job curating those with the rest of the Go Jauntly team. And it's tough to choose just one, but I'm probably going to have to go with Botanic Shop Hopping in East London. I'm a plant lover myself, and although I don't have as many as James does, I have quite a few. And I've spent some time in East London. I've gone to Columbia Road Flower Market and a couple other spots. But on that route, he picked out some really, really cool shops that I had never heard of. And I'm definitely going to be checking out the route starts at Hoxton Station and sort of winds its way up Columbia Road past Hackney City Farm along the Regent's Canal and finishes up at Dalston Junction. And specifically, he pointed out the Conservatory Archive and the N1 Garden Center, and both of those look really incredible. So I think I'm going to have to go and get a new succulent for my kitchen sometime soon. Thanks so much, Shane. Great ideas there. We're just going to go back to the podcast interview now. One of the reasons that you've been brought here today is that you've helped us create some really amazing routes on behalf of Lizelle for Go Jauntly. Out of all the routes that we've curated together, do you have a favourite at all? Oh, gosh. Um, tricky. So I, uh, there's, I love walking. I love being around plants. And I have lots of routes that I like doing. If we're going to pick to find favourite by the one I do most often, I'd probably say it's between Kew and Richmond along the Thames towpath. And that's just because I live in central London and it's really close and quick to get to. I can be there in 20 minutes. And you can be walking completely surrounded by green in a field of cows, you know, 20 minutes from Waterloo. Um, so I would go for that one. And Kew is also where I trained. And if you're interested in plants, um, it is the epicenter for the study of plants, but also for the collection. So they've been collecting plants for hundreds of years, and they have more diversity of them than the Amazon in like a tiny place of southwest London. So if you, you know, if it's the middle of December and it's really bleak out, you can step into the palm house and be transported to the middle of Borneo when it's raining and frosty outside. What's better to say for that? That sounds amazing. So if you're not escaping to Kew Gardens, where are you escaping to? Oh, gosh. Uh, my flat. I don't like to leave it. <laughs> now I've got so many plants. That's true. You've got so many babies. <laughs> so I'm lucky to travel a lot with work. So I travel a lot with Liz Earl, looking at, um, at sourcing trips to find the, the best places in the world to get certain plants from. People, I think, 
people have this idea of plants as generic objects. So they think of an, you know, an apple as an apple as an apple. But how a plant is grown, the unique climate they're in and the varieties, even how they're selected and stored prior to being used, has a massive impact on the, the chemical content, the compounds that are in the plant that do us good. And that's one of the reasons why I travel a lot. So we have to find all over the world the best possible sources for these plants, whether that's here in the UK, which it sometimes is, as in the case with borage, or it might be further afield, like high-altitude lavender that's only found in one part of France that we had to go to. Wow. Um, so it's it's a great job to be able to escape to those places and get like be able to do it in a legitimate work way as opposed to, I mean, I'd want to go to these places anyway. Yeah. And to actually be able to do it as a professional job is amazing. I feel like that with walking as well. Um, I wasn't always a walker, though. Uh, from my background, like we used to like drive a lot when I was a kid. And uh, uh, I guess it was the 80s and people didn't really realise. <laughs> like the impact of of driving um but in the recent years it's really helped me um just to kind of connect with nature and i used to be afraid of mud i'm going to admit afraid that. of mud i know that's ridiculous isn't it <laughs> but i did used to be afraid of mud and um you know having a kid now i have to be really careful because you know i don't want to you know say to the kid oh you don't get dirty or don't get muddy because yeah. actually it's really, really good for Although you. Although that is the most Asian possible oh, thing you can say. That's very true to type. I know. I heard that a lot growing Did up. Did you? Yeah. Don't, don't get muddy. Don't get dirty. <laughs> That's what I heard That's a lot. That's such a good impression. Yeah, I think I, I, I kind of really rebelled at that becoming a botanist. <laughs> yeah, I'm, my mum's like that now, bless her. Like she's got into walking as she's got older. And the other day she like borrowed my wellies uh -huh. and she's never worn wellies before. And it was the most sweetest thing. She like jumped in a puddle and splashed like she was like a three-year-old kid. And I was like, mum, what are you oh doing? My God, she's like, old I've Asian never... ladies in wellies. This is the cutest thing ever. <laughs> it was hilarious. Someone has to make a gif out of that. <laughs> I know. And she really loved it. And then she went and bought a pair of her own. Fantastic. So yeah, she seems like you've converted I her. I think so. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. She even makes walks on the app as well. It's pretty cool. Great. So just going back to um, the fact that you're like traveling the world and like looking at cool new plants. Is there any trends that we should be looking out for in 2020? Oh, so I'm. So this is the thing. I'm kind of weirdly fascinated about trends, particularly yeah. as a scientist. Like yeah. where do they come from and how do they propagate and why mm -hmm. do people subscribe to them? And there's a huge fascinating socialness about trends. Yeah. But I'm also kind of anti-trend because as fascinating as it is to see where these new things come from, very often the trends have very, very little basis in science. So there's this massive new trend I've discovered recently for celery juice. It's just water. Yeah. <laughs> like nutritionally, <laughs> like eat some celery, that's fine. But the claims that are being made about what celery juice will do to your body have really fundamentally no basis in evidence. Mm -hmm. So uh, w one of the things that I think is really exciting to work for a, a company like Gazelle is if something new, innovative comes across, uh, comes along that has great evidence that will really work and deliver performance for people's skin, great, let's consider it. We might even use it. But if something is old school and really untrendy and, you know, like lavender. It's mm. so untrendy. That's it's, true. It's, it's hardly exciting and new. It's not a hipster thing. <laughs> there is, like, unless it's a latte, there's no chance you're going to find it in East London. But it works. It has huge historical, uh, like a historical basis, but it also has great scientific evidence and performs really well in a product. So we won't be afraid to use something that might not be like as, uh, as like on the, on the pulse of fashion. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. um, as lavender in, and, and instead chase the latest trends. So it's kind of a really great position to be in to work for a company that has that integrity. Because when I first started working in the beauty industry as a, as a kind of cynical botanist, I always thought it would be about chasing the next big thing and just, you know, like, oh, goji berries are so out, darling. We've got to find the new kale. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like, they're, they're just food. Like, there's no such thing as a superfood. The fact that something's on trend doesn't suddenly make it better for you. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that uh, Lizzo are really up for that. They're really up for, for by rationally following the evidence and, and, and looking at what really works. That's great. Okay, to round that up then, one of the things I wanted to say is I really love your Twitter feed oh. and how you um, debunk myths, you call out prejudice, bad science and general nonsense. And I actually do look up to you as a person of like mixed heritage because um, there's not that many people around that you can sort Are of you like... you like the nicest person in the world? <laughs> no. No- normally when people say that they've seen me or they follow me on Twitter, I'm kind of terrified. Why? Well, because... So there are a lot of trolls on Twitter for there a start. Are, yeah. And I always, I feel like, and, you know, like, I'm not not sure if it comes across this way. Mm. I feel that when you're on Twitter as a science communicator and you uh, are going to be certain about what is what is well supported by evidence and what isn't, mm-hmm. um, that can make you quite unpopular. Mm. And, like, you can also come across as quite angry. And I always worry, like, oh, no, you do don't. I come across as really mean? You really don't. I okay, think you well, do a really good job. So my... My goal, hopefully, with it is don't be afraid of the things that you might hear on social media about mm-hmm. plants or about food or about diet. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are not necessarily true. And here's what the evidence says. It's not what I'm saying as a person. It's I'm just like uh, communicating, hopefully, in a really unbiased and clear way. And, you know, sometimes when those facts play to what people like to believe, it works mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it doesn't. So it's great to see that, like... You understand it. You get it. (laughs) I think so. And um, I just want to say thank you for coming along today and um, keep up the good work on Twitter. And uh, I can't wait to see what you're buying next and propagating next on Insta. We need to become Insta friends so you can show (laughs) me all the things you've killed and how how to not kill them. I can help you with that. And then next time I can ask you all the other questions when we've got a bit more time. Okay. Um, Can you bring your mum, please? Yes. Okay. We'll go for dim sum. Fantastic. (laughs) Thank you so much, James. Big thanks to James Wong for agreeing to come on this podcast. I'm delighted that he was able to join us because I know he is always so busy. I'm already plotting which dim sum house to take him to. And I'll definitely be avoiding the celery juice like the plague. You can follow his tips and tricks over on his socials. And he's at Botany Geek. Next episode, we'll be talking to Dan Raven Ellison, a self confessed guerrilla geographer and campaigner of national parks. He's working to make London a national park city, and that's happening later this year. I really hope you've enjoyed this show as much as we have. If you have any suggestions for guests or topics to cover, then please do get in touch at hi at gojauntly.com. For more information about the show, visit gojauntly.com forward slash nature bands. This podcast was brought to you in partnership with Lizelle Beauty Co. Find out more about Lizelle Skincare over at lizelle.com. Mm-hmm.